Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I, just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello out there. Welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Man, I got to tell you, you, the listeners out there, you never cease to amaze me. I really appreciate the response. I know we recently sent out some newsletters. If you're not signed up, you need to. That's where we get the communication done. But um, we got a big response, a lot of recommendations, a lot of ideas, a lot of opinions, which is what this is all about. Right. And, and we're excited to turn this into the community that it needs to be, because frankly, the more I hear from you all, the more I'm amazed by what you're doing. So really quickly, just a few shout outs. First, Rowena, I think I'm pronouncing your name right. Thank you so much for your thoughtful email with all of your ideas and your offer to help us, which we will be taking you up on. Jack W is writing a book. He sent me a PDF of kind of the first draft. Jack, I know I responded, but hey, man, when it's up, let me know, and I will blast it to our listeners. Alex O, thanks for your response about not only the meetup, but happy to support us on Patreon. As soon as we get that going, we will let you and all the others know who mentioned that. I also want to take a minute to say, for everyone listening, one of our big fans, his name is David Hrivnak has written a book and he was so nice to send it to me. It is called Driving to Net Zero, Stories of Hope for a Carbon-Free Future. Go check it out, right? I mean, not only will you be supporting David, a listener of the show, but let's be honest, carbon-free future, it's probably the greatest threat, in my opinion, facing us right now. So David, congratulations on a fantastic book. And Ali C., leaving her full-time job in the middle of building a new house to go back to school. Her goal is to build a bigger connection in dementia and Alzheimer's care between the experts in the field and the facilities that care for people. 
For those that I didn't mention, thank you for your emails. If you want to share what you're doing or what you're building, I think I'm going to incorporate this into our intros. I'll try and make it as short as possible. This one's a little longer, but look, I feel like it's important. You know, we were talking to Steve McKee, who's a former guest of ours, who is a marketing and branding expert, CEO of his own company. And you know what he said to us off air? He said, Chris, your best asset is that the people that listen are probably incredibly smart people themselves. And I already knew that, but I don't think I fully embraced it. He said, look, that's where the gold is. Yes, it's great to fill their mind with what these experts out there are telling you, but they also have a lot to offer. And so that's where we want to get this community up and running. You can connect with us via email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. And also for those that want kind of the inside scoop, smartpeoplepodcast.com slash society. All right. Well, you have stuck around because we have an excellent episode. I am so excited to bring you our guest this week, Sandy Rogers, as we talk about his brand new book that he co-authored called Leading Loyalty, Cracking the Code to Customer Devotion. If you are a business leader, if you are in customer service of any kind, if you lead a team or own a small business, you must know this stuff. So Sandy Rogers, our guest this week, is the leader of Franklin Covey's loyalty practice. He was previously senior vice president at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. During his 14 years there, Sandy managed the turnaround of the London, England operation and led the teams that developed Enterprise's marketing strategy. Prior to Enterprise, Sandy worked in marketing at Apple Computer and at Procter & Gamble. Oh, and by the way, he graduated from Duke and Harvard Business School. I'm excited to bring you this episode with Sandy Rogers as we discuss loyalty and his brand new book, Leading Loyalty, Cracking the Code to Customer Devotion. Enjoy. What got you here? And and what I mean by that is kind of take us through a little bit of your career trajectory because people are always interested in the story behind a successful career. Great. Well, thank you, Chris. I, I After college at Duke, I went to work for Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati in brand management and had a great experience there working on soft drinks back in the days when P&G had Orange Crush and Hires Root Beer. I then went off to business school. Um, and after two years at HBS, I, I went to work for Apple. Um, and I wanted to be like John Scully, who'd left Pepsi to go to Apple Steve Jobs famously said to him, do you want to sell sugar water to kids or do you want to change the world? And I dreamed about changing the world, too, when I moved to Cupertino um, and worked in marketing at Apple. And after three years there, I, I was there during the John Scully era, um, realized that as a, a marketing guy, I probably uh, was not in the best spot. And I had the great fortune to meet Jack Taylor uh, from St. Louis, the founder of Enterprise Rent-A-Car, uh, when I left my friends at Apple and said I was going to Enterprise, they said, my gosh, I've never heard of Enterprise. Uh, and I said, well, that's good news because I'm going to be the marketing guy. And so hopefully we'll be able to fix that issue. I uh, had just a wonderful career with uh, the Taylor family and the incredible employees of Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I started out working on business development and then was soon head of marketing. And um, early on, one of the things we realized to, to grow the business faster and create opportunities for all these 
college kids that start at the bottom and work their way up. The best way to do that, Chris, was to provide an experience that people would tell their friends about so that the business would grow. And uh, we back then saw that our uh, service was pretty good across the chain, but there was wide variation. And early on, I, I worked with a team and we figured out how to measure it and then inspire everybody to improve it. Doing so helped us to triple the business over the next 10 years. And our efforts in customer service inspired Fred Reicheld at Bain & Company, uh, inspired him to, to create the Net Promoter Score and now the Net Promoter System, which both Fred and, and Rob Markey have written about. And after Enterprise, I had the great fortune of, of joining up with Franklin Covey and helping other organizations to build a, a winning loyalty-based culture like we had at Enterprise. I'm always curious about how people found their joy in the professional field. So you really, for, you know, for your entire professional career, have been in this field of marketing. What was it about that that drove you there in the first place? And then why have you stayed in that realm? Well, you know, Chris, I also at, at, at Enterprise had the opportunity to run the London operation um, and so get my hands dirty in the operations of actually applying all these theories we came up with at corporate to, uh, to improve the customer service and turn the business around. But, but you're right. M most of my career has been around marketing. I, I, I'm very interested in communicating and, and taking uh, you know, a lot of complex ideas and trying to boil them down into a simple, digestible message. Um, so I've really enjoyed that part of my job. And over the years, I've also come to, to really appreciate, especially from my association with enterprise, the power of people and, and, and just how critically important it is to invest in building a culture where, you know, the employees, the associates are, are fiercely loyal to the organization, because that is the first step to creating the customer loyalty that everybody wants. You know what's really interesting about that, and you've seen this probably as much as anyone, I noticed this shift, and I'm not sure when it happened, but where companies first were always serving their employees, and then they switched to really serving the customer, right? So like, for example, we'll take Amazon and how I think they kind of ushered in this movement of, you know, the customer's always right. You can return anything you want. We'll bend over backwards. But I don't believe it always was that way. I think that's kind of a newer thing uh, where beforehand there was all this focus on the employees. Have you seen that? Do you believe that to be true? Well, I believe that both, obviously, employees and customers are critically important. But thinking back to high school math, we were taught about the order of operations, Right. And, and our teachers pounded it into us that if you want to get to the right answer, first A, then B, then C, then D and don't cut corners. And, and I think it is very, very important that we start with employees and, and creating a culture and environment where they are you know, inspired you know, to bring their best selves to do their best work each day. And that's, of course, easier said than done. And, and then the next order of operations is if the employees are happy. That leads to a, hopefully, a positive customer experience. My friend Shep Hyken um, says that the, the customer experience rarely exceeds the employee experience. Mm. So happy employees, 
uh, in a position to provide experiences that delight customers, that leads to sales growth, right? As the customers come back and recommend the business to their friends, which then leads to profitability. And, and sometimes if we've got a, a short-term horizon, uh, we'll, we'll try to cut to, well, let's just focus on sales growth or profit improvement. And, and we missed this idea that to build a long-term sustainable operation, it has to be employees, customers, then growth and profit. It's really interesting because I think, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I think, though, we see companies who do it well and we see those who don't. All of them realize we need to satisfy the customer, but really what you're saying, it's the approach in which you do that. Do you worry directly about the customer or do you go kind of in order with employees? So I, I want to ask you then about, uh, before we kind of get even further down to this idea of loyalty, about your time at Apple. Uh, when when did you go there and you know what was it like? Uh, kind of stepping into the the mecca of creativity, probably at that time. I was at Apple from 1989 when I got out of business school until 1992. Again, I mentioned I was in during the John Scully years. Uh, the company struggled during those years. Um, I uh, had the fortune of of working on a product called Apple Link, um, which was before the internet, uh, and it was a way that. Apple stayed in touch with our developers, our value-added resellers, and I worked on uh, trying to think about how we could make that product available to our customers, our computer buyers, so that we could provide them software updates and answer questions. And of course, all of that, you know, we expect that today. Um, but that was an interesting area to be working on back before the internet really took shape in the early 90s. From your marketing background, when you think of Apple, and you think of customers and employees, how well do you think they translated this idea of loyalty to becoming one of, if not the largest company, um, especially in the space, but of all time? Well, you know, Apple, um, obviously, when, when Steve came back and, and turned the company around, um, it just built an extraordinarily powerful brand um, around a lot of the principles that we talk about in this book that we've just written. Um, these principles of having empathy for people, right? And, and understanding, um, you know, how they're feeling about computer technology and, and making it very accessible and easy. And not just for somebody, you know, who's got a computer science degree, but for somebody's grandmother who wants to organize their, their pictures online. So there's empathy and then taking responsibility the second principle we talk about to help people accomplish, you know, the real job they're trying to get done and make it easy and fun. And third, to be generous with them. And a lot of what's designed, you know, in Apple, both in the products and in the human interaction we get at the Genius Bar and in the stores today, uh, you know, it, it is generous and it is responsible and it's empathetic. So those principles are, are critical, not just in human interactions, but in how organizations design technology uh, to replace human interaction. So you kind of led us into one of the things I really wanted to focus on, and, and that is these three pillars of loyalty. Talk about how, if you can, how they systematically built that into their culture, if you can. And, and this is a question again about Apple? Yes, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, as, as I mentioned, the products... 
um, under Steve's leadership, really uh, embrace these these core principles of empathy, responsibility, and generosity that we talk about in the book. That the difference between a good and a great experience oftentimes comes down to how we feel, right? Our emotional reaction to something. Um, and when Ron Johnson, under Steve's leadership, created the Apple stores, Ron really brought these things to life. Um, and, and so, you know, that's why when people walk away from their visit to the Genius Bar or interaction with a salesperson, it could be with a, a support person with Apple Care. Um, Apple does a great job of, of making sure people walk away with an idea that Jack Taylor had when he founded Enterprise Renner Car. We want people to feel like, wow, that was one of the best experiences I've ever had. And, and that feeling oftentimes comes from interacting with people, whether it's in person, online, on the phone. Um, you know, we find that the difference between good and a great experience often comes down to people. And so, you know, even though I love Amazon and it's just it's just brilliantly designed and anticipates my needs and makes ordering you know new pencils so easy, when I have a problem and I actually need to talk to a human being, their people are phenomenal too. You know, one of the things I love about this book is the examples that you use. And there's there's so many real life examples and there's so many practical tools. And I think that's where we need to spend a lot of the time today. The first thing I, I want to ask, though, is what is it about a customer that proves loyalty? Like if you're a business owner, large or small, you know, solopreneur all the way up to Fortune 500, how would you define loyalty in a customer? Well, that's a great question because one could see the person taking the same bus every day and perhaps conclude that that person is, is loyal to the bus. I mean, they take it every single day. I see them every day. Um, but, but j just because someone does something out of habit or out of convenience, that doesn't make them loyal. Uh, the difference between somebody who has uh, loyal behavior and someone who has loyalty behavior plus an emotional attitude of loyalty um, delivers a huge difference in profit to the bottom line. And Fred Reichelt at Bain you know, writes about this when he introduced the idea of the Net Promoter Score. I mean, promoters are those people who sing your praisers. Not only do they stick with you, but they give you more business each year. They recommend you to all their friends and they invest their time to help you get better. It's funny. I actually I wanted to talk to you about MPS and I, I didn't know too much about your involvement in it. And of course, as a consultant, Franklin Covey, it's something we we look at and understand every time we go out and do our jobs. Um Let's pause and talk about that for a minute. So for those that don't know, can you explain what that is? And then could you go back over kind of your involvement with it and, and uh, the creation of it? Well, uh, Fred Reichelt at Bain created the Net Promoter Score. Mm -hmm. uh, he was inspired by work we had done that we had initiated 10 years earlier at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Mm. To improve our service and grow the business faster, we needed to measure service across all 3,000 of the branches back then. So we had a clear idea of who needed to improve. Um, and then we inspired them to, to want to get better. Uh, we, we basically said uh, that if you're below 
company average in customer service, you, you can't get promoted. And that unleashed tremendous uh, inspiration and creativity to get better faster. Fred wrote about this in a Harvard Business Review article, uh, The One Question You Need to Know, uh, I believe in 2003, and then followed up with his book, The Ultimate Question. Uh, he has since written The Ultimate Question 2.0 with Rob Markey, also at Bain, and introduced this very simple but powerful framework. Um, Fred's initial question, uh, initial question was, you know, how likely would you be, Chris, to recommend fill in the blank to a friend? You know, from zero, not at all likely, to 10, extremely likely. And then the second question is, well, what's the most important reason for your score? And Fred's idea was, you know, listen, customers do not have time for a lot of surveys. Right. It's more important to hear from everybody so we can categorize everybody as either a promoter, somebody who loves us, a passive, and a detractor. And they're more likely to play if the survey's short, right? And then the way to learn about why is this person a detractor or a promoter is to do what Fred and, and Rob call, uh, you know, following up doing root cause analysis, you know, asking, you know, gosh, Chris, could, could we take a couple of minutes? I'd love to hear more about your experience with our firm. And that really gives us the chance to get into the details, learn what went wrong, who was involved, um, so that we can make it right. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never thought as deeply as you just mentioned about that idea of net promoter score. And it makes a lot of sense. It's will that it's it's much more than did you have a good experience or on a scale of zero to ten, how did you like X? It's essentially at its core, will you be someone out in the world promoting what you just experienced? And I think that's a direct kind of correlation to this idea of of loyalty, like you like you talked about it, right? Like having the emotion of loyalty and wanting to go back. And we all have those brands. I was wondering if you could help us because stories translate so well. What's your favorite example of a company who really embodied this idea of loyalty and created those kinds of uh, devoted customers? Well, you know, we have so many examples in the book. Um, uh, one of the stories that I share is because it's so emotional and it's so emblematic of the culture that enterprise has built. Uh, it, what happened 17 years ago after the news about 9-11? And I, you, know, I, I, you probably remember where you were. I was oh, at the yeah. corporate office in St. Louis. Um, and could you imagine, Chris, what it would be like to be at an airport car rental branch that day? All the planes have been grounded. And at Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C., all of the competitive car rental companies had closed their doors and, and gone home, you know, to get home to their families. Our branch manager couldn't reach anybody on the phone. I mean, it was just crazy. His branch is filled with people stranded trying to get home. And we had a policy back then that there were no one-way rentals. If you rented a car in Washington, you had to bring it back to Washington. You couldn't drop it in Philadelphia. Let me tell you what our manager did that day, because it, it, it lived all the principles we talk about in this book. The manager said, and he's standing in front of a room that you can just imagine how crowded it is. He said that this woman is going to Atlanta. Um, if there's anybody here that's going to Atlanta or in that direction, um, please take this car 
uh, get yourselves home safely. I'll figure out how to get the car back later. Wow. Um, and, and by the way, help yourself to a snack, to the sodas. He opened up the machines. And then he said, this gentleman's going to St. Louis. If you're going west, you're headed in that direction. Please take this car. Get yourselves home safely, and I'll, we'll figure out how to get the car back later. And he did this until he had scattered all of his cars. Absolutely violated company policy about no one-way rentals. And when we heard this story back at the corporate office a few days later, never more proud. Because here is a guy and his whole branch team who had tremendous empathy for all these people you know, who are stranded, right? Who took responsibility for the real job to be done. Get me home to my family now, please. And, and this team was incredibly generous because it was going to cost a fortune to get these cars back. But, but you know, th- th- that's to create a culture where the employees are, you know, in our, they're in a position to enhance other people's lives, to enrich other people's lives. Um, it, you know, that leads to not only fierce customer loyalty, but fierce employee loyalty, which we know is a prerequisite for the customer loyalty we all want to build. This week's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, anger, family conflicts, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential, and it's so convenient. You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option, and for Smart People Podcast listeners, you get 10% off your first month with the discount code SMART. That's S-M-A-R-T. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash smart. Simply fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash smart. And now back to the episode. That's a fantastic story for so many reasons, but it also, it does embody this idea of it can't just be a tagline. It has to be lived in a company because if you really put yourself in the shoes of that branch manager, looking back on it from this perspective, you go, oh yeah, that I would have done that. But how many companies and how many employees just say, look, I got to follow the rules. I don't know what's going to happen. In, in this case, it's going to cost us so much money. I could lose my job. Let me just stick to the book and you know, at least I ensure that I'll be coming to work tomorrow. And Chris, that is one of the biggest uh, opportunities we think organizations have. Mm. I sat in the office of the CEO of a, a large toy and, and baby goods chain a few years ago. And we were talking about these loyalty principles. It was before we'd written the book. And he said, oh my gosh, I got to share a story with you. Um, you, you. You may have already seen it on the internet. It's been everywhere. This, um, this man comes into one of our stores carrying a load of unopened baby items, and he says, I need to return these. And our employee said, well, well, sir, I, you know, tell me what's going on. Is there a problem with these items? 
and he explains, there's no problem with the items. They're all brand new. I just, my wife and I, we've lost the baby and we're just so upset. Can we just please return these things? Mm. And the CEO took his hands and covered his face. And he said, Sandy, our, our people told him that they were sorry that he couldn't return the things without a receipt. And he said, how could I have allowed something like this to happen? How could a policy about needing a receipt get in the way of doing the right thing for this poor man? And 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 so often, you know, I, I tell you, I, just let me give you the opposite. Yeah. TD Bank, well known for their customer service, says it takes one to say yes, but two to say no. So if you're working on the front line at TD Bank, uh, it's okay to say yes to any customer request. If you're thinking about no, please check with your manager first. Mm. We just love how they entrust their front line with a responsibility to say yes whenever possible. You know, Horst Schultze, who ran the Ritz-Carlton chain, had this same insight. I mean, this guy cracked the the code to empowering his employees at Ritz-Carlton. He said to his folks, hey, look, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. No matter what your job is, I mean, if you're refilling the water glasses in the dining room and you overhear a guest who says, oh, my gosh, my bathtub is not draining properly, you own that problem until it's fixed. And Schultze told every employee, get this, Chris, you have up to $2,000 at your discretion to make it right for a guest. I mean, imagine, you know, I'm a $12 an hour frontline employee in this hotel being trusted with that kind of responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great for building customer loyalty. It's even better for building employee loyalty. Walk us through the process that you take when you go to an organization, you're consulting with them to solve this problem or to at least improve their customer loyalty. Where do you start and how do you work towards their ultimate goal? Great. So, you know, many organizations would like to improve their customer loyalty. Everybody understands the theory and the economics. And yeah, of course, if we have better loyalty, we'll grow faster and make more money. Okay. So how do we get there? And, and many organizations will start with a survey to learn what they need to do to improve. And, and we have found that given fierce loyalty is driven more often by who than what, we we kind of turn that around and say, we, we like at Enterprise, we really want to understand who needs to improve. You know, who across your frontline teams, whether they're in a call center or in a store or a branch or, um, you know, who is doing an excellent job and should be studied for practices and who needs more coaching to get better with customers. And so once we've identified that the people who need to get better, then we introduce this idea that everyone in the organization should become a loyalty leader and adopt a a loyalty leader mindset. This idea that, look, I have empathy for people, I I take responsibility for their real needs, and I'm generous with them. And and so how do you bring that to life? Because people are busy. You know, the reason we don't do these things like empathy, responsibility, and generosity more often with our customers is not because we don't understand them. Look, we learn this stuff in kindergarten, right? And hopefully it's ingrained in our psyche. But the reason we don't do these things more often at work is because we're busy. 
you know, we've got, you know, revenue goals, expense reduction targets. And in the whirlwind of our daily lives, we lose sight of the power of these, these, these principles in our interactions. So we've designed 11 different huddles. And the huddle is just a short, focused, little 15-minute team meeting where the team comes together and learns about these loyalty principles and practices. The first 11 chapters of the book describe 11 different huddles that every team should do ideally every week from top to bottom. Rich Carlton's been doing huddles for years from the CEO all the way down to the frontline team. And that's what keeps them at the top of their game and it's what helps everyone. And in these huddles, the agenda's the same, the topic's different. The agenda begins with, first we celebrate. You know, we, we want to point to the people. Let me tell a story, Chris, about somebody on our team today, you know, who really lived this thing we were talking about last week at our huddle, right? Because what gets measured isn't necessarily what improves. It's what gets celebrated that gets everybody's attention. And then the second thing we do in the huddle is we learn. We learn about a principle or practice. Whoever's leading the huddle that week just reads the chapter. You want everybody to have a chance to lead each huddle. And then at the end of the chapter, it's very easy to lead your group through this, this very simple process. Uh, third, what commitment could each of us make? We've just been talking about responsibility. You know, and everybody make a small commitment to the team that we're going to talk about next week when we come back. And then fourth, who's going to lead next week's huddle? So, so we give them a metric to identify who needs to get better. And then we give them a process through these 11 huddles that they all run so that they can bring these things to life. Just carve out 15 minutes in the whirlwind of their busy work week to celebrate and learn. And, and we hear from lots of the companies doing these huddles that this is the most fun 15 minutes of their work week. I can imagine that. And you know, the idea of these huddles, the constant communication is something that I see quite often in a number of areas that we covered, Franklin Covey. What is it about those that you think truly works towards changing a culture? Well, making space for it in the busy whirlwind of our lives, uh, bringing the team together and giving uh, everybody a chance to lead so we're all invested and own this process. And, you know, in the commitment piece, um, you know, what's one thing, you know, Chris, that, that you could do this week to maybe take more, um, show more empathy to our customers? This comes out of Chris McChesney's great work with the four disciplines of execution. And it's incredibly powerful because, you know, when I make a commitment to all the people I work with, to my peers, you know, I, this is something that I really need to keep. Um, and so we, 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 the power of huddles and we have seen organizations, boy, from casinos to a high end retail chain in France to a state government office in Minnesota, to hardware stores, a linen delivery company. We've seen a wide range auto repair stores doing these huddles and telling us the impact that it's having. Faster sales growth, higher employee retention, better net promoter scores. But you know, the thing that we think is, is most relevant is this is the fun 15 minutes in our work week. This is a time where they come together, they laugh, they celebrate, and there's nothing more fun than telling stories about other people on the team who are doing great things. So I want to go back to these kind of three principles, and we've touched on them a number of times, but I want to make sure we get really clear so people can take these and implement them in their businesses and in their teams. 
Empathy, I think we've covered. And I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, it's simply be able to put yourself in the shoes of your customer, understand their needs, and deliver the things that will fit those needs. But tell us about responsibility. What does it mean from an employee standpoint to feel responsibility? Who is it for? And how do you build that? So the reason there's 11 huddles, there's three principles. There's two practices that go with each principle. Um, And and so we've covered empathy, which is really about making a genuine connection and then listening to learn so we know how they're feeling. With responsibility, the two practices, they begin with discover the real job to be done. And then the second practice is to follow up. Um, to find out, you know, were they successful, and if there was a problem, to fix it. Now, in discovering the real job to be done, Harvard Business School professor Clayton Christensen has written that people hire products and services to do a specific job for them. So if a guy comes into a store and says, you know, I'm looking for a wrench, you point him to aisle 13, that's not taking responsibility, right? Um, Responsibility means, no, come with me. You're looking for a wrench. Tell me what are you working on? Well, I've got this old fence in my backyard and I want to get rid of it. And there's these rusty bolts I got to get out. Well, do these bolts and the nuts look like any of these? Well, yeah, they look like those hexagonal ones right there. Oh, sir, to, to grip the rusty edges of those bolts and, and the nuts and get rid of your fence, you're going to need a set of box wrenches. This set should do the trick. And so that, that's an example of, you know, owning the real job to be done, not just selling the guy a wrench. And, and following up, the second practice of a responsible person is vitally important. You know, how did your friend's project go? You know, it, it, because it shows that we're interested in the outcome and not just selling our products. And oftentimes, we're reluctant to follow up with our customers because we're afraid of what? They'll say, oh, well, I'm glad you asked. I had a terrible problem. And, and unless we, you know, go through this with our team and talk about how to handle those customer problems – we avoid one of the greatest opportunities for building customer loyalty. And that is learning what didn't go well and then fixing it in a way that they say, wow, that was phenomenal. So we teach people in, in that huddle, you know, how to, how to follow up. And, and when there's a problem, you know, how to align with their emotions and apologize without being defensive and ask, you know, Chris, what, you know, what can I do to make this right? I used to practice this when I ran the London operation at Enterprise Rent-A-Car with our branch managers. And they say, oh, we need to get more feedback about how to get better. Well, what stops you from asking each of the people who leave your branch every day and ask, hey, what, if anything, could we have done better? And role-playing, you know, what if they say this? How do you respond? And if you get everybody really comfortable with how to resolve customer issues, it, 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 you're just unleashing this tremendous learning vehicle for your business but also the ability to turn anybody who's not a promoter into a promoter. Wow. I, I love that idea about discover the real job to be done. And that story you told, I mean, it was fitting you used the, the one of a wrench, but I was thinking about this experience I had and I was at Home Depot and uh, I was I was looking at fertilizer and a woman came up to me. I didn't even know she worked at the store. And she said, hey, I, I just want you to, to know, I just saw that fertilizer. L- literally, this is so crazy. On my cart, there was fertilizer and there was some, um, some seeds for produce. She said, I saw that fertilizer and your seeds. And I want to let you know, don't use that fertilizer near the seeds. 
because you can't put those chemicals on food you're going to eat. Now, yeah, I didn't I didn't plan on it, but but I might have I might have just spread it all over the place. I I didn't really, (laughs) you know, that and I was like so caught off guard. And then instantly, you know, I kind of was like, wait, what is she trying to sell me? Like, what's going on? And she said, no, I'm a, you know, horticulturist or whatever they are. I've got a degree in this. Um, I kind of just float around and, and try and see where I can help. What's your what what are you trying to do here? And I said, you know, honestly, I have this big tree in my front yard and it, it's massive. And I can't I, I can't really grow grass under the tree. I'm having an issue there. And so she walked me through the store, said, this is the best seed. Here's why this is the best fertilizer for that. Here's why. Here's how often you should water it. And oh, by the way, here's my card with my number. Call me if you have questions. What was so mind blowing about that is I'm basically getting advice that I would have to pay for from landscaper and all this for for what reason? Home Depot just thought, you know what? This is probably something people struggle with and can use it. I just to this day, that's one that stuck with me and as you were telling that story, it wasn't just the interaction, it was her observation of the job to be done. Well, you have perfectly described the third core principle for earning loyalty, which is generosity. And and the the first practice of generous people is to share our knowledge, to share our insights just like she did about the fertilizer and seeds in your tree. Tell us more about generosity, because that was the I, that was the third one. We've covered empathy, responsibility, and, and now I want to learn about generosity. Sharing openly, uh, how, how else do you do that or show it in, a, in an authentic way? And, and you know, that that's a key word, share it in an authentic way. Uh, and you also mentioned part of who you are. See, we believe that that all of the people we have have the capability and, and have an appreciation for the power of, of when people have empathy for them or take responsibility or, or be generous. The question is, is whether their work environment, their employer, their leader allows, enables, inspires them to do the things that they know, you know, makes other people happy and frankly makes them happy too when they leave work each day. You know, Fred Reichel, the, the, the man who created Net Promoter Score, said, you know, one of the most powerful things we can do as leaders is to put people into a position to enrich other people's lives. Um, so generosity is, is the third of these core loyalty principles. Uh, we're generous when we share our insights and knowledge, just like the story you, sh- you, you, you told me. Um, and then another practice is, is surprising people with unexpected extras. Um, you know, if you get a fortune cookie at the end of a Chinese dinner, that's not an unexpected extra or the box of floss at the dentist each year. One of the stories we talk about in the book, uh, a guest is at a hotel and notices a note from the housekeeper. I see you're at a toothpaste. So I left you this new tube of toothpaste. I mean, that, that Fred calls those frugal wows. I mean, they, they don't cost a lot of money, but they let people know that, hey, I see you. I care about you. And again, it's not just great for the customer. It's great for the employee to be in a position to do things like that. Two questions. Let's start here. The first is, how does this translate to the everyday individual? Because, you know, I could see this being, all right, I get it if you're the CEO or something. But the vast majority of people listening, myself included, we're not CEOs. You know, that's not where we spend our time. So how did you all envision this book translating, you know, to perhaps the entrepreneur, but perhaps the employee, perhaps just the, the, the general public. 
We believe in what we talk about in the book is that everyone can be a loyalty leader. Sure, it's great if the CEO likes the book and wants people to read it and, and follow the huddles. But another way that this book will take hold, that these, this, the power of huddles will take hold in an organization is for anyone to become a loyalty leader. I mean, Dr. Stephen Covey said, you know, leadership's a choice, right? It, it's not what's, you know, written on your name tag. I mean, you know you're a leader if you look over your shoulder and there's people following. So everybody in the organization, whether you're the CEO or you're working the drive through window at a fast food restaurant, can choose to be a loyalty leader, can champion this huddle process and bring people together to just spend 10 or 15 minutes talking about these core principles and practices, celebrating people. And you know what happens is, because you're doing them every 11 weeks, you're going to go deeper each time you cover things like empathy, responsibility, and generosity. Because what people will do is they'll say, well, hold on there. Chris, what am I supposed to do in this situation? I mean, we had this customer last week, and, and, and that's just a perfect opportunity for the team to talk about it and say, all right, so how do you deal with that? Coming from the individual's perspective, and I know we talk a lot about mindset really driving behaviors, what do you feel motivates somebody to want to be that loyal leader? What motivates that frontline employee who's, who's listening and is saying, okay, so you're telling me I got to take all the things on my plate, which we all know it, it's insane, right? That whirlwind. Um, and now I have to go way out of my way to serve every person in a way that's so exceptional. You know, come on, I know this sounds good, but let's talk real life here. How do you get somebody to change that thinking when it might not really directly impact or benefit them in the short term? That's a great question, because um, you're right. The last thing all of us are looking for is another activity right. or, or meeting to go to. Um, and so what we've tried to do in the book is through stories, um, remind each of us that what really brings joy in our lives is when we're in those opportunities to, you know, to positively impact another person you know, by having empathy for them, you know, making a genuine connection, you know, really listening. You know, how good does it feel when somebody gets you and has taken the time to understand you, you know? And, and you know, how, you know, the difference between um, just pointing somebody to where the treadmills are in the store and, and asking a couple of questions for, for 10 seconds to say, you know, gosh, tell me, why, why do you want a treadmill? What's going on? It, it just, it makes the whole day feel differently when that customer leaves the store with a smile on her face and says, wow, you know, it, it, we find that the employees get as much value out of this as any of the customers do. Because again, we're, we're putting each other into the position of enriching other people's lives. And sure, our pay and our benefits and all those things are hygiene factors. I mean, they've gotta be in a, in a reasonable range. But the difference between a good and a great day is did my day make a difference? You know, at its core, and, and there's a lot of research out there that shows this, people think, well, I'll be loyal if maybe if they paid me more or if I had more vacation. Or I, but at the end of the day, the things that really drive satisfaction at work are the purpose we find in what we do. One of the things this is reminding me of is in the six critical practices that, that we have at Covey, when we talk about, you know, as a leader, provide the, the boundaries that people need to work within, like the general guidelines, but then also provide them the autonomy to solve these things on their own. And you'll get a lot more 
than if you manage tightly. And it's really so, this, you know, it's this like belief in people. So important. If we want to earn the loyalty of the people on our team, we have to trust them to use their, their gifts, their abilities to, to connect in genuine ways with customers. I mean, there's nothing uh, that sort of undermines trust for me than when I start hearing a, a script that somebody's reading. Um, and I can tell they're not enjoying reading it any more than I'm enjoying hearing it. Um, you know, at Enterprise, we said, look, this is really simple, okay? You know how to entertain people in your home, to make people feel welcome, to provide hospitality. Treat people naturally, right? And, you know, Chris, you and I are different. We might come at it from a slightly different way. But when that customer walks away from us or gets off the phone with us, they should feel like, wow, you know, that person really – they really listened to me. They really cared about what I was trying to get done. And you know, they were generous with me. You know, they didn't have to ask me those extra questions or offer to do that. We're talking about a couple of extra seconds. And if I could say something, this is a complete just kind of guess, but a personal experience is when we do that, we're getting out of our heads a little bit. We're getting out of our concerns, our worries, our self-management, you know, just when you turn over some of that inquisition to others, again, from that authentic, genuine place, it actually frees you up, I find. And so I just think that people taking that that into their lives, whether it be, you know, at home or at work, I think can only benefit the results. And uh, I'm excited to bring this message to them. Well, Chris, thank you. We are certainly excited about this book and hopefully it'll help uh, people to earn loyalty. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, look, we all know in today's world, that's what we need, right? Well, again, Sandy, I really want to say thank you so much for your time. It's been enlightening. We've all learned a little bit more about how to create some loyalty. And so I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk with us. Chris, it's been my honor. Thank you so much. Good stuff there from Sandy Rogers. Sandy's book, Leading Loyalty, Cracking the Code to Customer Devotion, is available on April 16th. So make sure you pre-order it today. Head over to Amazon through the Smart People Podcast Amazon link at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. And any purchase you make through that link helps out the show. If you'd like other free and easy ways to help out the show, you can head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. And if you'd like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast.gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. This is a friendly reminder that you can stay tuned to all things Smart People Podcast by heading over to smartpeoplepodcast.com and signing up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. We've got a lot of great interviews coming up, so we will see you all next episode.